Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Censored, a podcast about the blacklist of banned books compiled by the Irish censors. Censorship wasn't unique to Ireland, but the Irish were internationally infamous for their strict literary censorship in the 20th century. The Irish censors did not confine their attention to notorious books, such as Lolita or Lady Chatterley's Lover, but banned thousands of books considered uncontroversial in other English-speaking countries. Shout out to Australia for doing the same thing. Two countries at opposite ends of the earth had remarkably similar puritanical censorship regimes. In Ireland, the censors compiled a list of prohibited publications, which were considered indecent or obscene. And that's the list I'm going to use to read the books in this podcast. I'm Aoife Vrithnach. And I have a chronic book habit. Most importantly for this podcast, my mind is always in the gutter. And nothing but smut unites these censored books. Luckily for me, the banned list contains all kinds of books. It's time to read the censored books to appreciate the great books, the good bad books, and the truly awful books. In this podcast, I will read like a censor, but I want to embrace smut, not suppress it. This episode's subject is Brendan Behan's Borstal Boy, published in 1958 and censored in just two countries, Ireland and Australia. I chose Borstal Boy to begin my journey into literary smut because a copy sits innocently on my bookshelves. Like lots of people, I own books that were once censored, and I want to see what depravity lurks in my humble suburban book collection. But first refreshments. To fortify myself in my debauchery, I'll need something to drink. For each episode, I will choose a beverage from the book. Honestly, I could not drink alcohol when talking about Brendan Behan, a man who drank himself to death. His favourite tipple was apparently a sherry and champagne cocktail. But in this book, Behan is writing about his time in prison when he was 16, so booze does not feature at all. He writes lovingly of mugs of cocoa consumed in his cold cell. 
So grab a sweet warm beverage, a blanket, and snuggle down for some smut. Borstal Boy is a memoir. It tells of Behan's experiences in British jails and Borstals from 1939 to 1941, where he spent three years for terrorist offences. At 16 years old, Behan had travelled to Britain with a bomb-making kit. He hoped his bomb, along with those planted by others, would lead to a united Irish Republic, but he was arrested in his boarding house room just after arriving in Liverpool. Borstal Boy is a memoir about an idealistic Irish boy coming to terms with his personal and political identity in the British penal system. The reason I read it is because it's well known for its exploration of Republican nationalism, and I'm a historian of modern Ireland. We gotta read this sort of book. When I first read it, I wasn't consciously thinking of Borstal Boy as a censored book. I knew it had been banned, but presumed that this was because of its political overtones. It's well known that he's quite critical of republicanism. Lazily, I thought the censorship of this book was politically motivated. When I read it, I found Behan charming, cheeky and disarming. The opening of the book is very entertaining, funny and ludicrous. It reads really well aloud, too. He was observant, funny and sharp, never losing an opportunity to mock himself and everyone else. He cheerfully admits that he had shaved just four times before he had been arrested. He was so young and optimistic, more worried about his stomach than the prospect of years in jail. He writes a lot about the physical comfort provided by cocoa and warm blankets, cigarettes, and how tabloid newspapers were a great diversion and entertainment. Although Behan was a lovely young fellow with an irreverent attitude to the sacred cows of Irishness, Catholicism and nationalism, on my first reading, I didn't find the book excellent. It feels uneven, repetitive, and a little long, I can't say that I agreed with the New Statesman who described it as, without a doubt, the most important book of its kind published this century. Behan spends a lot of time narrating the prison's daily routine in relatively plain language. The first half of the book, up to page 142, which is set in Liverpool, is much more engaging than the remainder describing his time in Borstal in Wales. There's a baffling amount of detail about prison life in this book. It isn't beautifully written. I thought it was a little boring, to be honest. Women hardly feature at all, apart from his mother, and a mean and barren landlady, and a girl who sensibly refused his offer of a knee-trembler against a lamppost. From my first casual reading, I had no memory of rude bits at all. When I read it like a censor, looking for obscenity and indecency, I discovered a totally different text. If you look for it, there is implied smut aplenty in Borstal Boy. By page 8, I knew why it had been banned. Bean writes about his first night in detention and cheekily, but obliquely, describes having a wank. I'll quote it from the book so you can see exactly how he describes it. I put my mind on other things. It was at least and at last permissible to a man in my position. Then I settled myself more comfortably and wondered if anyone else had done it in the same position. I didn't like to mention them by name, even in my mind. Some of them had left the cell for the rope or the firing squad. 
more pleasantly tired from the exercise, I fell asleep. What's hilarious about this description of masturbation is that Behan draws a direct comparison between his own experience and that of the nationalist heroes imprisoned in British jails. It feels illicit to think of venerated cultural figures masturbating, regardless of your political or national background. It would have been unthinkable in 1958 to imagine the heroes of the 1916 Rising, for example, masturbating between their arrest and execution. It's probably still unthinkable, to be honest. Such a dangerous combination of body physicality and political satire would have been deeply offensive to the censors. This is clearly a joke by Behan, a sly, well-concealed dig at a national culture that worshipped the dead bodies of heroes while denying their messy, irrepressible sexualities. Behan knew the Ireland he lived in had serious hang-ups about sex. Single pregnant women were cast off by their families and sent to give birth in mother and baby homes. It goes without saying that gay sex was illegal. But even proper socially sanctioned sex between heterosexual married people was not talked about. Books about sex in the context of marriage were just as censored as books referring to gay life. Sex in all forms was taboo. Bean knew that he was a product of the censorship, as people called the censorship regime. In this book, he talks about how British tabloid newspapers were banned, but that his family procured copies anyway. The Beans were a contrary bunch, the sort of Republicans that did not agree with mainstream republicanism, so reading banned newspapers was very on brand. One of the things Bean most enjoyed about his time in prison, if you could say he enjoyed it at all, was reading the tabloids slowly and carefully, savouring every salacious news story. The cheeky reference to wanking on page 8 isn't the only time Behan acknowledges masturbation, but it's the most elliptical and least easy to spot. As the book progresses, he's more matter-of-fact, but it's never explicit. It's about as sexy as his descriptions of eating dinner or emptying his chamber pot. There is no sex in this book, which is why its banning seemed ridiculous, even at the time. But apart from wanking, there was another reason Borstal Boy may have attracted the censor's attention. No one snogs or shags anyone in Borstal Boy, but Behan does have a significant emotional relationship with a fellow prisoner, Charlie, a Londoner he met on his first day in Liverpool prison. On page 9, Behan says that he stood behind Charlie in the queue for the washing facilities, innocently admiring the back of his neck. You tell yourself that, Brendan. Focusing on that tantalising strip of exposed skin at the back of someone's neck, between the collar and the hairline, is completely innocent. Almost instantly, there is an exchange of physical intimacy between Charlie and Behan that's casually described like it's no big deal. Charlie asks Behan to fix his vest, that is, to tuck his underlayer below his shirt. Behan writes, He turned around, and I shoved down an inch of his vest that was showing above his blouse. There is a bit of soap behind your ear. He handed me a towel, and I wiped, carefully, the back of his ears. Thanks, Paddy. There's some seriously loaded touching going on here. When Behan takes his place at the wash basin, Charlie asks if he has any tobacco. 
then insists on sharing his bounty with his new friend. But since Bian has wet hands, Charlie says this, and I'm reading from the book directly on page 11. Your hands are wet, Paddy. I'll shove them in your skyrocket for you. I gave myself a final rinse, bent over the bowl. He put his hands in my trousers pocket. No bottle, Paddy. That one's got an hole in it. He tried the other side. That's all right. I'll shove the snout, matches and chewing gum in there. I turned from the bowl, drying myself. And I'll put the paper inside your shirt so's that old bastard of a grasshopper won't tumble it. He put the news of the world next to my skin, putting his hand round me. He won't tumble it there, Paddy, under your jacket. Well, the language is very restrained, almost minimal, but this encounter could be potentially very hot. And did I mention that Charlie is wearing a sailor's uniform because he's enlisted in the Royal Navy? Their relationship continues even when they've been locked in their respective cells. Charlie sings a song for Behan in what's described as a young, clear baritone not long in use. Behan responds with a song he says emerges from the Irish resistance to British rule, but it's an allegorical piece where Ireland, a woman, laments her saviour, Bonnie Prince Charlie. I'm not actually sure what the song is. I couldn't quite work it out from the lyrics that he's transcribed. So he sang this song in the Irish language, sure in the knowledge that neither Charlie or any other prisoner would understand a word. For our benefit, he translated some of the lines, but not accurately. Here is the Irish. Vogh leaving a luin o, belahan the chree is beyas the fog. And below it is the English translation. Beautiful, lightsome, awesome boy, wide was your heart and mild was your eye. For anyone who reads or speaks Irish, it's quite obvious that the translations don't match. Bian says, mild was your eye, but the Irish doesn't contain any reference to eyes at all. In fact, that part of the line says, sweet was your kiss, but yes, the fog. He writes most of it in English, and the full verse that he quotes is as follows. White as new lime, your thighs and hips, your clustering hair and your sweet-bitten lips, my last blaze of strength would die well in their kiss. That's quite something, that verse. The image of a beautiful body laid out with sweet-bitten lips is pretty evocative. And this is the song that Behan chooses to sing to his new friend, Charlie, even though no one else understood a word. Charlie and Behan are best friends throughout the book. The Endless Prison Routine is an opportunity to talk about meeting Charlie, sharing a smoke with Charlie, even showering with Charlie. And I'm going to read you the piece about the shower on page 205. Paddy, Charlie shouted from next door, come in and soap my back, will you? I will, shouted Joe. I'm good at that, I am. You stop where you are, said Charlie. He stood under the water, the light down his back muscles faintly gleaming. Okay, said I, taking the soap. He straightened and stood gravely while I rubbed the soap over him. Right, kid? Right, Paddy. Thanks. It's no wonder there were rumours within the prison that they were more than just friends when this sort of thing was happening. Like the wanking, the importance of the relationship with Charlie is skirted around, concealed and half-acknowledged. There are numerous examples of their closeness, in fact too many to cite, really. 
but the one that made my heart catch was when Behan sang in a concert in the Welsh Borstal and saw Charlie's shining face out in the audience when he had finished. There is no explicit sexual relationship in Borstal Boy, but I think the implied connection between Charlie and Behan would have unsettled and disturbed censors. Many readers would have missed this aspect of the book, like I did the first time, but if you read this book like a censor, it's hard to miss. I'm only guessing, of course. I don't know what offended the Irish censors. But the Australian censors put their opinions of Borstal Boy on record. The super-talented Nicole Moore has written about it in her great book, The Censor's Library. It's very funny, worth looking at. Coarse language, piss, shit and bugger offended Australia's censors. I was surprised by this because I didn't think the dialogue was expletive-ridden. I suppose they meant the detailed descriptions of toileting in chamber pots. The pot was emptied on a timetable, so if a man couldn't hold it in, he would end up eating and sleeping with a pot of shit for hours and end. Actually, I found the descriptions of prison life really interesting. Bean is very evocative on the stench of a prison. The Australian censors thought phrases such as You've a neck like a jockey's bollocks. Offensive. But such are the speech patterns of contemporary Ireland that I didn't even see this as inappropriate language. We swear a lot in Ireland right now. Our Minister for Health said ass and gobshite in a press conference last week, and no one passed a remark on it. And I swear more than most, so I presume that's why I missed the riper phrases in this book. So I went back to double-check. But Behan censored his own language in the book. Where a character said fuck, he wrote a dash, or transliterated it as fug, F-U-G-H. For an all-male environment, the language is pretty innocent. One Australian censor claimed the songs in the book described acts of bestiality and male and female masturbation. I checked, and he must have been hallucinating. The hymns, ballads and rebel songs that pepper the text don't even contain smut, not to mind bestiality. Many are soppy ballads whose words are embarrassingly maudlin without their haunting melodies. Clearly, Australian censors had pretty fevered imaginations. Like I said earlier, the songs are an important part of the almost but not quite sexual relationship between Charlie and Behan, but they're not rude in and of themselves. So, to wrap up our exploration of Borstal Boy, it's time to play Censorship Bingo! I've made a bingo card of all of the things I think offended censors. It's only 25 squares, and to be honest, I think that's not enough. I've posted my censorship bingo card on Twitter if you want to have a look at it. It's at CensoredPod. So let's see how Borstal Boy fares in censorship bingo. Well, firstly, they're swearing, although not a lot of it. Obviously, there's masturbation. As I mentioned, that's the most important sexual aspect throughout the book. You could argue that the whole book is about crime, because Behan was arrested and jailed for terrorism, but I don't think that sort of crime bothered the Irish censors all that much, seeing as memoirs by men famous for their exploits against the British in the 1920s were widely read at the time. Looking at my bingo card, there's a surprising amount of squares that Borstal Boy does not tick. There's no divorce, oral sex, menstruation, abortion, no orgies at all, 
no drugs, not even references to genitalia. There aren't even any detailed fantasies to accompany the masturbation. Borstal Boy gets a really low score in censorship bingo, which could explain why its banning was particularly contentious in Ireland and Australia. For me, it was fun to read a familiar book like a censor, to see how it changed according to your reading intentions. And it's certainly true that being filthy-minded has opened up a whole new book to me. The next episode will be about Rona Jaff's The Best of Everything, another censored book from my bookshelves. To find the books that I'm going to feature in the next few episodes, check out my website, censored.ie. If you want to tell me about rude bits in the books you're reading, I'm on Twitter, at censoredpod. And keep reading those banned books. It'll do you good. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.